The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. It's okay to admit the Red Sox didn't have much of a choice but to trade Mookie Betts. To the point. There's no better option for the Patriots than Camp. They have to re-sign him moving forward. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? It is Brady Farkas right here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We go up until 7 o'clock. We are your last barrier between between now and election night coverage, and we're pumped for Lee and Rick and the crew who are going to be anchoring our election night coverage at 7 p.m. I will be your election night distraction for the next hour and a half and uh, continue to be grateful and humbled by the response that I've continued to get from you and we've continued to get from you guys on this show that the podcast numbers continue to way beyond exceed my expectations. So every single day, I, you know, I hope you're listening live every single day on WDEV or on our app or on WDEVradio.com or on your, your Alexa device. However, I, I'm, I hope you're listening live, but if you find the podcast, you can on Spotify, Apple podcast, and at WDEVradio.com. More than 3,000 downloads in week one alone, so we appreciate those of you that spread the word and give positive feedback. We'll be joined by Patriots broadcaster Bob Sosi at 545 to talk about the state of the team as he's with us every single Tuesday at 545. If you want to interact with me, you can do so on Twitter by contacting me at WDEVRadioBrady. That's at WDEVRadioBrady. The show is sponsored, as always, by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia is family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. We'll get to the Patriots in a little bit. The trade deadline, they acquired wide receiver Isaiah Ford. Nothing spectacular, but possibly useful, and we'll talk with Bob Sosi at 545. But first, the update on high school sports in the state of Vermont. There's really three points you need to know. We are going to have almost a full palette of high school sports in this state. No wrestling, no indoor track. I'm devastated for those athletes. But at the end of the day, mostly good news came out of the governor's COVID-19 response news conference today. There will be a mask mandate for all players, coaches, and officials, and there will be no fans at all. There will be zero fans at all. Julie Moore made the announcement as she stepped up today in, uh, in place of the governor. The masking mandate that was put in place this fall for all players and staff is going to be continued and extended to referees and officials for indoor sports events. Further, recognizing that gathering indoors inherently presents more health risks than outdoor events and that schools continue efforts to minimize any visitors to their buildings the guidance establishes that spectators will not be allowed at school-based indoor sports events, practices, or games this winter. So what are the rapid takeaways? My, my main takeaway is simply, I'm happy we're having sports. It's going to look different. It's going to play different for the athletes, but I'm happy we're going to have it. And if you're in the camp that's upset at the restrictions, don't be. That is my advice to you. Don't be upset. Stop looking at what is not there and what's not normal and just be grateful for the fact that there is sports because the alternative was nothing at all. The kids, trust me, the athletes want to play. And they will, because they're kids, they will adjust to things that are different very, very quickly. 
and they want to play. A lot of them have already had the experience of wearing a mask throughout their fall seasons as well. Basketball is going to be the biggest adjustment, right? There isn't much of a natural pause in the game, so certainly I think you're going to see guys get tired earlier, girls get tired earlier, have to be taken out, maybe more rotations. Teams are going to have to be deeper and play more players. That's going to be different, but hockey, bowling, those things where there's a natural stop in the action, it can be a little more natural. Basketball is going to be the biggest adjustment, but go talk to any player who's ever lost a year to injury. Go talk to any kid who's ever graduated and wishes they could play even one more game. They'd all just tell you they want to go back and play, and this gives them a chance to do so. I graduated from college eight years ago. I'd give anything to go back and play one more meaningful game, one playoff game, one chance to win a Sudiac championship at Oswego State. Okay? I would give anything to have one more chance. These kids are now getting it. Rather than losing a season in which some of them lost chances to win state championships last winter, to go represent their towns, to end their careers with titles, for the seniors that didn't get a chance to finish, these players now don't have to lose a year. And that is important. Any player who's ever torn an ACL, had Tommy John surgery, injured a soldier, uh, a shoulder, uh, had a foot injury that has caused them to miss a season, they would all tell you that missing that season is devastating to them. Not having a chance to play with their best friends, not having a chance to represent their towns, not having it. You know, it sounds corny, but when I was in sixth, seventh grade, I dreamed of just getting a sweatshirt with my team's name on it and getting a chance to go and wear the sweatsuit on the team bus and get off the team bus on a Friday night and walk into the basketball gym. I dreamed of that day. And now these kids are going to get a chance to get that memory and get those memories. And it's going to look different. It's going to be different, but they're playing. And that's the most important thing. You know, we all have a clock in our sport, right? We all have a clock in our sport. And in most times, that the sport, you know, it chooses when our clock is, right? We're just not good enough to play anymore. For me, I wasn't good enough to play beyond college. That was it. Those were my last baseball games that ever mattered. For a lot of kids, the clock is up at the end of high school. And they're going to get one more chance. You know, why would I why would I want to 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 bring that clock a year earlier? I don't. I want these kids to have a chance to play. They're going to. That's what matters. If you're someone who's against the restrictions or finds wearing a mask restrictive, go talk to a wrestler. Go talk to an indoor track athlete that did lose their season and ask them if they wish they could play under a modified system. And I bet you every single one of them would tell you that they wish they could. So stop looking at what's not there. Stop looking at what's different. And just be grateful and happy that there is sports to play. And by and large, you're going to get a season and a season in almost every sport that you should. This is hugely important for the mental health of athletes. Okay, My best friends, for the social development of athletes, my best friends were people that played high school sports with me. My best friends to this day still are people who played high school sports with me. Or the people in my school who played sports that I just that resonated with me, that I bonded with, that I connected with, that we went to each other's games, that we talked about each other's games, that we supported each other. 
Those were my best friends then. Those are my best friends now. High school sports creates relationships that will never go away. It creates memories that will never go away. I'm 31 years old now. I still gather with my high school baseball teammates every year and do a fantasy baseball draft. And what do we do? We share stories about 15 years ago about the time that Brian Hunter missed the team bus or the time that um, Coach Carice on the baseball field screamed at us, where the hell is your pride? I mean, those are the stories we tell. They're lifelong memories. And these kids are going to get a chance to get them. So much of kids' social development is comes through sports. You know, Ian, it's just a relief, too. This year has been so hard. It's been so taxing. I can tell you from my own experience. I played adult men's league baseball this summer in the Green Mountain Baseball League. Just having that to do for two hours every Sunday made things better. Just being able to play golf a couple of times during the summer made life better. These kids are going to get experiences like that. As for the no fans, it stinks. But heed my my words here. The sport is about the kid. It's not about the parent. It's not about grandma and grandpa or best friend or aunt and uncle or neighbor. I know you want to be supportive. I know you want to be there because you've always been there. But you have to be supportive now in other ways. I loved when my parents came to games, and they came to most of my games. But at the end of the day, I just loved that they were supportive. That's what matters most to kids. That's what matters most to athletes. Think about your relationship as you drive around. Your relationship with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever. You don't necessarily care. They don't have to love everything that you love. But you want them to show a little bit of interest. You want them to support what you're interested in because it shows that you care. That's ultimately what matters. Okay, I don't care if my girlfriend watches every single football game with me. But when I go on a five-minute rant about my fantasy team or about my gambling pick, I want her to be a little bit interested because it shows that she cares. And that's what matters. And that's what you can do as a parent. Okay, ask how practice went. Ask about the scouting report for the next game. Take an interest in who the other team's best player is, on who they're going to guard in that matchup, on where's the goalie's weak spot if you're talking about hockey. Ask those questions. No, you can't be there. But yes, you can still be present in the support of your child. That is what kids want. Trust me. I've played it. I've coached it. I've had a brother who's younger than me who played it. We all just want support. Okay, Watch the games online. Listen on the radio like WDEV. Take some notes about what you hear and follow up on it. That matters to kids. It matters to athletes. In fact, it even goes further than if you were just in the gym and you were at the game, but you weren't really present at the game. It matters that you care. It matters that you're supportive. And if you're a parent who just lives vicariously through your kid's career, then I already can't help you. But all you need to do is be supportive, and you can do that even if you're not in the bowling alley, in the rink, or in the gym. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The Patriots, they need all of our support, okay? They're 2-5. and five. They're way on the outside looking in. The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. Is there any way out for this team? Bob Sosi is going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The man who's called three Super Bowl championships. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the red arm. Touchdown! And a title for the Patriots! 
the man who can take us closer to the action than anyone else. Brady throws it to the end zone for Ken Tompkins. Leaping, he calls it! Touchdown, Patriots! It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Every single Tuesday at this time, we bring on our friend Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots. We're going to be the home of the Patriots beginning next Monday when they take on the Jets. And hopefully, hopefully they'll end the losing streak. So, Bob, how are you? I'm good, Brady, and uh, I concur. I'll second that emotion. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to having you on our show again. We're looking forward to having the Patriots on our station and, yeah, hopefully getting a win. Um, This is unfamiliar position for the team and for you. Have you talked to any of your broadcaster brethren about how to call games for a losing team? No, you know, it doesn't really make a difference whether you're calling a game for a losing team or a winning team. You have the same job when you go into the broadcast booth, honestly. And I've I've been on both ends of it going back to my college career broadcasting navy football for 16 seasons there was a long run of bowl games at the end and wins over army but in the beginning there was a stretch at one point of 30 losses in a span of 33 games including an 0 and 10 season in 2001 and so i've been through you know those seasons when really the story and the story is always the game unto itself but those seasons when the game truly is the story that you really can't tie storylines to the playoff race or to the seeding for the potential postseason berth, et cetera. And I've been through many, many minor league baseball seasons too, with some really woeful teams far out of contention. And, and that's been a great education as well, but we're, we're fortunate to do what we do. We're very, very lucky to do it for the team uh, that we do it for and, and where we do it. And, Again, you have a responsibility. You're being paid to be a professional, and your responsibility is to try to paint the picture the same whether the Patriots are winning 17 nothing or trailing 17 nothing, and the same whether they're 5-2 and two or 2-5. Two and five. And so that doesn't really change. I, I didn't. I, I will tell you this. I have heard from a couple, and I know they're not feeling any <laughs> sympathy for me right now considering the run that I uh, hopped on for when I started. The Patriots yeah. had won three Super Bowl championships, and now they've won six. So I'm, I'm not getting any sympathy uh, from, from my brethren in the, in the NFL, that's for sure. Did you see the Patriots just – did you feel better about their performance on Sunday in Buffalo? They competed, and they competed on, I thought, both sides of the ball much better than against San Francisco, for sure. Still, you know, still a lot of the same mistakes, though. You know, the unforced errors along with the forced mistakes. And when I talk about unforced errors, a delay a game, yeah. uh, when you got a first drive that's moving at midfield and a first in 10, the illegal shift. Uh, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, set them back on another series as well. Uh, there was a case early in the second half, right at the start of the second half, where they had to rush a defensive player out of the field because Juwan Bentley uh, was held up in the locker room getting out, and the defense was on the field initially with 10 players. So those are the kind of mistakes mm-hmm. you don't expect the Patriots to be guilty of. But that being said, they were competitive, and they did a lot of the things they needed to do to win the game. They were in position to, at the very least, tie it in the end, but for the turnover. And I think when you look back at this four-game losing streak, uh, this team has struggled to start games offensively. They've been scoreless in the opening quarter on offense all year long. The only points they've scored in the first 15 minutes have been Devin McCourty's pick six against Seattle. 
and you can't afford to make any mistakes really that especially turnovers when you're always playing from behind and you have such little margin for error you know and last week they were even in the turnover margin after being in, in the in the red the previous three games and that's totally out of character for bill belichick teams uh, but even being you know one up and one down wasn't good enough against the bills in a close game Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bob, in the spirit of Election Day, I'm putting this question on the Patriots' ballot for you, and you have to check the yes box or the no box. (laughs) Are the Patriots now in rebuild mode, yes or no? I wouldn't go so far as to say rebuild. I think reset or retool uh, Mm -hmm. may be a better description. I think Bill Belichick, uh, with his comments, which certainly drew a strong reaction Uh, from media and fans alike over the last week, starting with what he said about the salary cap situation with Charlie Weiss on Sirius XM NFL radio and addressing the, in his own words, really a lack of depth on the roster. And it continued to carry over early in the week in his teleconference on Monday with the local media here in New England. I think that, you know, the, the signs are pointing that way, but I don't ever see the Patriots being the kind of team that quote, tanks for Trevor or anybody else or strips it bare. I don't think the crafts would want to experience that. Uh, They have taken over this team as owners, speaking of Robert, of course, and president Jonathan Kraft, and they've been accustomed to winning seasons. And, you know, even with the, for the most part, and even when, you know, there was a hiccup here or there with Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick's first year, uh, overall, you look at the body of what this franchise has enjoyed during their ownership period, yeah, you know, I don't think that uh, they want to go through that. I don't think the fans want to go through that. And I don't think the Patriots, I don't think I don't ever see Bill Belichick, you know, doing that, but they do need a retool reset. There there is a lack of depth on the team and and we know that they have failed really in the last uh, several drafts really going back to I think the 2000 and 14 draft with their first round selection of Dominic Easley, you know, they've missed on some picks in the opening round. Uh, they've had uh, some second round picks, certainly, uh, who have failed to even, you know, stick long enough to be considered for a second contract. When you think about a, a Duke Dawson, for yeah, example, yeah. from a couple of years ago, and uh, before him, there was Jordan Richards, who was a player that, you know, as a second rounder, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty high pick, even where the Patriots are taking toward the, the back end of the draft. So they haven't had the depth to the draft. They had a draft during that this this stretch that I'm talking about where they didn't pick until the third round. They had a, a year where they didn't pick in the opening round. And their first pick of that draft was Cyrus Jones. That was the deflate gate year when they had their first round pick uh, taken from them. And so th- they're, you know, they're in a position, Brady, that, uh, you know, they, they're, they haven't been in for a long, long time record wise, but also in terms of the need for a reset. The other thing on the ballot box for the Patriots is this. The Patriots identified a clear direction in the wake of Tom Brady leaving. Yes or no? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, we're, 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 we're talking, I guess, uh, politics in a way, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm doing my best to try to give you a somewhat political answer. it very well. <laughs> you know, I think right now you'd say a two and five, considering their situation, and that they didn't prepare uh, adequately enough. When you look at, to the fact that they didn't sign Cam Newton un- until July. Now, if they really believed that Jarrett Stidham was ready to assume that role and inherit that responsibility with, again, some mentorship and even competition from Brian Hoyer before they signed Cam Newton. You know, I think that uh, 
you know, the, that you'd say, well, they, they thought they had a plan in place. I think a couple of things about this year that have made it uh, so difficult and challenging when it comes to that transition, you know, more so than had it been simply Brady to Cam Newton is, is this period of time in the spring when they didn't get on the practice. And again, he wasn't even in the fold. Uh, they weren't able to do things on the field in, in spring in the OTAs, like everybody else, but everybody else has gone through this. It's not an excuse for the Patriots, but I think it is a factor, but I think it right now, you'd have to say that at this point of this season, at this time, you know, when you look at where they are, and the fact that there's still, you know, a lot of questions about Jarrett, I'm sure internally, even though they, Bill Belichick has said that, you know, he's made great progress. Uh, but, you know, what we've seen on the field thus far has not been, uh, you know, uh, anything but shaky, frankly, yeah. uh, with the turnover numbers, the interceptions per passes thrown. And then when you look at the struggles of Cam Newton of late, trying to get acclimated to the offense. Now, if they had, continued to play the way they did in weeks one and two, you'd say, wow, they, they it really worked out beautifully for them. But I don't know if that was according to plan again, considering the can wasn't signed until July. I'm not bold enough to say this on my own, and I'm not requiring you to say it either. I'm surprised that it's almost 70 years old. Bill Belichick wants to be a de facto GM and head coach. I can see a path where it would be easier for him to just be the head coach. And there's been a lot of people calling for his GM head lately in the last couple of days. Are you surprised that Bill still wants to do both of those no, roles? At 70 no, years? no, not at, not at all. No, the passion's never waned. It seems to me from Bill Belichick, you know, a lot of people do, uh, you know, look at Bill differently as the coach greatest of all time. And a lot of people, especially of late, and, and, you know, and I pointed out some of the misses they've had mm -hmm. in the draft, uh, but he has been the architect from day one. And uh, while he inherited some really good players who were drafted previously, like Willie McGinnis and Teddy Bruschi, uh, nonetheless, Bill Belichick's track record overall, you know, from the time he took over, to this point, you know, despite, again, these last few years has been rock solid. And I think that, you know, their approach may change now, too, uh, when it comes to maybe it's fewer, maybe fewer risks. I think the last couple of drafts, there's still a lot of potential. And I know a lot of people have already given up on Nikhil Harry uh, as a first round pick. And a lot of people are scratching their head, for example, with a guy like Chase Winovich. But I think there was still in Juwan Williams, you know, the three uh, higher picks from the 2019 draft. But I think we're still a long way from the, the verdict on that class as a whole, and there's still promise. And I also think you have to say that the Patriots, while they have missed on some early round picks, have nonetheless you know, hit on a lot of the mid-round selections they've had. And part of that could be because they're so well coached. But I, I don't, I don't uh, think it's surprising in any way uh, for Bill uh, you know, to want to continue to, to build this team. It's, it's, it's been you know, the system he set up from day one where he – brought in his own people, uh, young people to kind of groom them, work up this pipe, pipeline from the ground floor of the organization, going to get coffee to personnel mm -hmm. assistance, to coaching assistance, so that they're well-schooled in all the facets. You know, he's had his right-hand man, whether it's Scott Pioli or Nick Casario, more recently, that's been probably his most trusted confidant when it comes to player evaluation. But overall, I mean, he's the guy who, who set this up uh, with, with his vision of how he wanted to run the organization. And Robert Kraft gave him the keys to do that based on Robert's experiences with both Parcells and Pete Carroll. And it's worked out marvelously. They've had the greatest run of any professional football franchise over the last 20 years, considering the salary cap 
and as well the landscape of the NFL. And I know right now people are saying, well, it's, it's Brady and the Brady-Belichick argument. I still think it's both. Mm. And, I, and I still think that uh, Bill Belichick, who created this uh, as uh, the architect of, of this structure, uh, deserves the opportunity uh, to reset or retool it for sure. I'm not questioning that at all. And I think to go back to your previous question, and I'm sorry for carrying on so long, I think it's also important, too, that you know they, they, were, they were poised to make the smooth transition. Yep. And the plan was in place. Unfortunately, the quarterback who was here before, uh, I'll, I'll play that timetable. And, uh, you know, it's tough to find a quarterback. And, and maybe, again, like I said, they thought that Stidham was ready in the offseason and uh, then found themselves uh, once once Cam came to an agreement with that deal because he was available on the market so long he could sign on their terms rather than his, uh, that, that that was kind of a, a stopgap or, you know, at least a, a one-year bridge to, to the next phase of the plan. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, going to be on our station beginning Monday with that game against the Jets. We're looking forward to having you, Scott Zolak, and the rest of the team. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Brady, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, there goes Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots. And, yeah, I cannot wait to uh, have the Patriots on the station. Now, the Jets are a winnable game. They should beat the Jets, who are 0-8, um, who are in total disarray. Pats should win next week, and I'm excited that you're all going to get to be a, a part of it. If you've never heard Bob Sosi call a game, he is just uh, awesome. You talk about radio broadcasting, describing the action, and Bob will always tell you what the uniforms are, and he'll say the Patriots have their blue jerseys with the red and white striping, and it's just it's really kind of immaculate to listen to, so really, really fun. And again, Bob Sosi joins us every single week at 545 on Tuesday. I've kind of motioned and gestured to the staff what my biggest takeaways are. They're cutting it up right now. Um, So we'll get to that at 6.05 like we always do as the audio comes in. Um, I've got to get better at something here. Every Tuesday, I'm going to do my opening thoughts, right? And today I did it in high school sports. I've also am supposed to do my hot seat of the week right after that opening thought. It's supposed to be kind of five minutes on the opening thought and five minutes hot seat of the week. Last both weeks of this show now, I have blown right through and only done the uh, the opening thoughts because it's been things that I'm passionate about. So I didn't get a chance to get to the hot seat of the week. So um, we're going to have to do it right now, our hot seat of the week. Hot seat of the week. Hot seat of the week, political signage on the road. Okay, political signage is on the hot seat all around the state. Listen to this. So Lisa Scalotti, who works for the Waterbury Roundabout, she was on the afternoon news service yesterday, and she told a story about someone who is so fed up with politics, so fed up with politics, that they are actually stealing political signage. You could call it a bit of an election season caper where a woman from Waitsfield was arrested for um, picking up uh, campaign lawn signs off people's properties on Sunday afternoon. Um, and according to the police, she had 39 campaign signs in her truck um, when they caught up with her. Um, and interestingly, they were from um, Republican and Democrat um, campaigns. Um, Governor Scott, Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman, Scott Milne, Molly Gray, even a sign they said that was encouraging people to vote. I, there you have it. Somebody who's maybe fed up with politics by now, maybe. So political signage is on the hot seat. I have so many questions about this, by the way. I wish I could have had 20 minutes with Lisa to really get to the bottom of it all. So it sounds like this person stole these lawn signs from from someone's yard. What if you took it from a public place? 
What if you took them from the side of the road? I get, I get on the interstate every single day, and boom, I'm inundated with political signage. What if you just took one of those? Is that a crime? I have a question about. What if she waited until Wednesday? If this woman waited until Wednesday after the election is over, is everything fair game at that point? I don't know what the at what. How long do people have to get rid of political signage? So a lot of things I'm questioning here, but nonetheless, political signage is evidently on the hot seat. And I know how divisive politics can be, but I've never thought to go steal something from my neighbor's lawn. But again, what if it was in a public place? What would happen then? I was very, very curious about that. But political signage is on the hot seat, and we'll have all your political talks in seriousness tonight right here on The Friendly Pioneer. WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Lee Cattell, Rick Sangari are already in the building getting ready, and they're going to have you covered all throughout the state. We'll have some of our other uh, voice personalities in the talks as well. Maybe maybe you'll even hear from me at some point. So all hands on deck for election night. It all starts at 7 o'clock. We'll come back with our biggest takeaways from the Bob Sosi interview coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, election night coverage coming at 7 o'clock. The forces are mobilizing. People that are never in the building at this time of night are all here. They're all hovering around me. They've got laptops. They've got color-coded things. Rick is in a suit. So people are treating this like the Super Bowl. And I've, I've been to the Super Bowl four times now. Not the game itself, but the media week beforehand where it's crazy and I've seen some stuff, and this is the Super Bowl to these people at WDEV and to our people at WDEV, and it's Super Bowl to a lot of you also. So coverage starts at 7 o'clock. It certainly will be fun. We'll have you covered on every angle of the state. And Bob Sosi, who we just spoke to as we do every Tuesday at 545, has you covered on every angle of the Patriots. And the staff has been cutting up his interview with my biggest takeaways. And let's get right here to uh, to my biggest takeaway about the Patriots right now. Here's Bob Sosi just on with us about 10 minutes ago. When I talk about unforced errors, a delay a game, yeah. uh, when you got a first drive that's moving at midfield and a first and 10, the illegal shift uh, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, set them back on another series as well. Uh, there was a case early in the second half, right at the start of the second half, where they had to rush a defensive player out of the field because Juwan Bentley uh, was held up in the locker room getting out and the defense was on the field initially with 10 players. So those are the kind of mistakes you mm-hmm. don't expect the Patriots to be guilty of. For 20 years, we have said the Patriots don't beat themselves. And for 20 years, not beating yourself and just doing your job has been a fundamental principle of the Patriot way, of the quote Patriot way. The Patriots are now beating themselves in ways that we've never seen before. Look, they're actually last in the league in penalties committed. They're still doing a good job at that. But lately, the timing of these penalties, as Bob just told you, has been a problem. And it's been new to them. Because the Patriots under Bill Belichick, they don't do this. They don't have the opponent in the third and four and jump off sides. They don't have a third and six that's manageable and turn it into third and 11, which is impossible for this team with an illegal shift. They don't do that usually. And they don't beat themselves. And they've started to. They just don't seem to be as focused in certain moments. Maybe it's because they have a lot of younger players playing, more inexperienced players playing. Maybe Tom Brady's not there to yell at everybody on the sideline and keep everybody accountable. But whatever it is, 
It has been a staple to not beat themselves, and they have found ways to beat themselves over the last couple of weeks. The Patriots are in the bottom 10 of the NFL in turnover differential. When's the last time you could say that? That the Patriots were in the bottom 10 of anything. And here they are, bottom 10 in the NFL in turnover differential. Minus two. They're not even in the plus in turnover differential. You can't win a lot of games in the NFL when you're minus in the turnover battle. For starters here. Last year, Patriots, number one turnover differential. Plus 21. There you go. That's a 12-win team. Even though we don't think, I didn't think they were all that great, I've realized, plus 21 will cover up a lot of other misfortunes you have. When you're number one in turnover differential, you can get away with a lot more things, and evidently the Patriots did that a year ago. 2018, Patriots fifth in turnover differential. Go to the Super Bowl. Win the Super Bowl. Good team. 2017, they were 11th, so bad by their standards, still top half of the league. 2016 third, 2015 fifth. They are always in the top five in turnover differential. This year, they're in the bottom 10. You can't win if you're going to give the ball away and not take it away. It reminds me of one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a baseball coach. He said, Brady, you're a pitcher. And I said, yeah, coach, I am. Or I try to be. And he said, you can give up walks. Or you can give up hits. You can't give up both. You can have something bad, but you can't have them you can't have more bad things stack on top of each other. And if the Patriots are going to give it away, they have to be able to take it away. And this year, they aren't taking it away like they did a year ago when they were number one in the NFL in turnover differential. Having Tom Brady last year certainly helps, right? Tom knew when to bail on a play. He knew when to check out of something. He was pretty good at just, oh, the play is not there. Let me throw it in the ground and live to fight another and, and live to fight another down. Cam Newton hasn't been as good at that, but it's not all the difference in quarterback play. Last year, the Patriots had four blocked punts, three pick sixes. They did special things on defense, and they're not creating those kind of plays this year. And evidently, it's it's turning into is a slog where the Patriots aren't they're not able to move the ball and then they're not even able to create short fields for themselves because the defense isn't doing what it did a year ago it's all new in the way the Patriots are playing Brady Farkas show WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com moving on our takeaways from our interview with Bob Sosi we talk about the Patriots offense being a slog Listen to how big of a slog it really is. This team has struggled to start games offensively. They've been scoreless in the opening quarter on offense all year long. The only points they've scored in the first 15 minutes have been Devin McCourty's pick six against Seattle. And you can't afford to make any mistakes, really, that, especially turnovers, when you're always playing from behind. One problem combat compounds another problem. Think about what Bob Sosi just said. The Patriots have zero offensive points in the first quarter this season. Zero. They have played seven games. They have scored zero offensive points in the first quarter. Devin McCourty's pick six against Seattle is the only points the Patriots have scored. I can't even believe it. This team has struggled to start games offensively. They've been 
scoreless in the opening quarter on offense all year long. The only points they've scored in the first 15 minutes have been Devin McCourty's pick six against Seattle. They have zero points from their offense in the first quarter through seven games. How is that possible? How is that? That sounds like something a bad JV team does. That sounds like something the freshman team does when they get off the bus and they're playing full of seventh graders. The Patriots have zero points. That is amazing. They are always playing from behind. And with this offense, with this limited of an offense, they cannot afford to one play from behind and two turn it over, which is something they are doing both of. They're last in the NFL in explosive pass plays. Now you add injuries in general NFL season attrition and now substandard quarterback play. They can't afford to get down because they can't come back. The Kansas City Chiefs can come back. Patrick Mahomes can get down 24 to nothing against Houston in the divisional round of the playoffs. Boom, three quarters later, it's like 50 to 27. Patriots can do it. Seattle could come back. Russell Wilson's on pace to throw 59 touchdowns this year, which would be the greatest single season total in NFL history. With Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and a good running game, that team can come back. Baltimore with Lamar Jackson can come back. Kyler Murray can bring Arizona back in games. The Patriots, they can't come back. The Patriots need to get up 13-3, to suffocate the life out of the ball, and not allow you to get it back and shorten the game. They don't have the horses to come back from... They don't have the horses to come back from 10 nothing. Nevertheless, 20-3, to like some of these teams can come back from. Now, you talk about it in baseball, right? You can't only be a home run offense. You've got to be able to have some small ball tendencies in there too. But the Patriots are all small ball. They can only hit singles. Four yards here, four yards there, six yards there, three yards there, punt there, get the ball back. Four yards, four yards, punt. Okay, You can't only be a home run offense. If you rely solely on the big play, you're never going to be a balanced offense. You're not going to be successful. But if you never have the ability to have a big play on offense, you're also never going to be successful. And that is where the Patriots are right now. And that is why they have lost four in a row for the first time since 2002. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It's Tuesday. It's Election Day. That's enough of a reason for some of you to want to drink. But after what I've seen the last couple of days, there's something else that just, we do it every Tuesday. This makes me want to drink. This weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Thank God I'm exhausted. But after seeing this, I better crack open another. It's time for This Makes Me Want to Drink. I'm going to have to crack open two, one for each of Daniel Jones's awful interceptions yesterday. And I'm actually going to do kind of a couple of things on Daniel Jones here, the Giants quarterback, because I love Daniel Jones. And it pains me to see him throw two horrible picks yesterday. Like, I'm going to crack one beer open for this. The snap. Jones looking, looking, under pressure, under pressure. Gets the pass away. It's intercepted. Picked off at the 40-yard line. Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a takeaway, and it's Carlton Davis. And I'm going to crack another open for this. Jones looking to his right, still looking flushed out. He's going to be, he gets, oh, he throws the ball upfield. It's intercepted, picked off, and the Buccaneers have the takeaway. Sean Murphy bunting with the interception. Travis and Milton described it to me on Twitter in the correct way. Daniel Jones is a turnover machine for the Giants, and the numbers back that up. He has turned it over now in 20 of his 21 career starts. 
Think about that. Daniel Jones has started 21 games for the New York Giants across a season and a half. He has turned it over in 20 of those games. He is becoming Jameis Winston, all or nothing. He's a he's a he's a guaranteed big play one way or the other. He's either going to ride you down the field and you're going to love it, or he's going to do that and have a drive halting mistake, fumble interception that's going to cost the Giants a game. He's not the only reason they're one and seven, but he is a part of the reason that they're one and seven. You have to learn when to bag a bad play. You have to learn when to bag a bad play. Daniel Jones is smart. He went to Duke. He knows that you have to bag bad plays, but it's not a written test. It's a performance task. It is not a written test. It is a performance task. He can know the answer. He can say the right thing after the game, but until you do it in the game, you haven't shown me that you've truly learned. I think that's certainly what I have to do in those situations. And, you know, when you're out there and competing and, and playing hard, I think, you know, you got to be able to understand you know, that part of the game and, you know, understand when, you know, when it's over. So, you know, I have, have to do a lot better job there. He's smart. He knows the answer. He's got a smart coach who comes from the Belichickian coaching line of not beating yourself and Joe Judge. He knows the right answer. He's got a former NFL quarterback and a 10-year head coach in Jason Garrett as his offensive coordinator. He knows the answer. I love the aggressiveness from Daniel Jones. I love that he'll stand in and take a hit. I love that he'll take off. I love that he wants to make things happen. I respect his aggressiveness and his willingness to to do those things. But at some point, you've got to be smarter. And the real question is, how long will it take for Daniel Jones to learn to, to, learn to harness it? Or will he never learn? Because if he never learns, he becomes Jameis Winston. He becomes a guy who's a, who's a couple of years starter who's now in a backup hoping for his career. If he never learns, he becomes Jameis Winston. If he does learn, then he doesn't become Brett Favre because that's unfair to put on anybody. But Brett Favre could play a long time in the league being a gunslinger. His ups were so up that you could live with some of the stupid things that he did. If he can figure it out, he can be a poor man's Brett Favre. If he can't, he becomes Jameis Winston. I mean, even Doug Flutie, we do the daily dose of Flutie every day. Flutie even told us a couple days ago, like, quarterbacks got to learn when to give up. You want to make every play work. And that is such, there's an art in knowing when to give up on a play. You know, especially you talk scrambling quarterbacks that, that just try to make a play out of everything. And I did it. I've thrown more than my share of terrible interceptions because I just didn't want to give up on a play. And there's something, take the thing, throw it in the ground, and it's lined back up. And, and you know, it, it situationally, sometimes you know, I can understand the end of the game, last drive. And, but if it's not third or fourth down and you don't have to absolutely make the play, you got to be smart. Learn to take a sack, throw it away. It's okay. It's what made Tom Brady so successful because you'd see there's the screen play and there's Brady. Oh, it's not there. The defensive lineman's there. I'm going to throw it at the running back's foot. Oh, it's not there immediately. You know, Brady used to get grief for not extending plays enough and giving up too early. You know what he didn't do? Throw a lot of interceptions. He took sacks. He laid down. He threw it at people's feet. When you learn how to do that, you can last longer in this league. Tony Romo learned that as he got older, okay? Tony Romo, for the most part, look, his second year in the league, his first year, his second year as a starter, he threw 19 interceptions. 
His first full year as a starter, he threw 19 interceptions. He Every year after that, it went down pretty much with the exception of a couple where he threw, one year he threw 19 again in 2012. But there he was, 9, 7, 10, 9, 7. Like, Tony Romo learned to give up on plays. Daniel Jones needs to learn to give up on plays. It's okay. Don't hurt your team. I love Daniel Jones. I love Daniel Jones. And in fact, I would welcome Daniel Jones on the New England Patriots. And I'll tell you why I think they can get him and why I think they should. Despite all of the bad, despite all the numbers you just heard, I'd be more than okay to take Daniel Jones as the next quarterback of the New England Patriots. Does Doug Flutie agree with me? That all comes up on the Daily Dose of Doug next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. It is the daily dose of Doug right here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, election night coverage about 35 minutes away. We'll have it for you here starting at 7 o'clock. Lee and Rick and the crew, they will be anchoring our coverage. Dylan's in here. I'll be here. Charlotte's here. Corm's here. Everybody's here helping out today. So uh, just tell me where the food's at. That's what. I, that's why I'm staying. Tell me where the food's at. That's why I'm staying. No, I'm staying because I'm a team player, and I want to help you get the information you need on election night. So that goes at 7 o'clock. Let me start with this. I would trade for Daniel Jones this offseason in a heartbeat if I were the Patriots. I would trade for the New York quarterback in a New York minute if I were the Patriots. And the reasons why are numerous. First off, simply... I like Daniel Jones a lot. For all the head-scratching turnovers, there's a whole lot of this which just keeps bringing you back. Second and 10 at the 19. Jones back to throw. He's one. Left corner of the end zone for Tate, who makes the catch for the touchdown. What a throw by Jones to Tate. Listen to Bob Papa, who's the legendary Giants broadcaster on the call. What a throw by Jones to Tate. He does that a lot. Yes, He makes the big mistake. He has made the big mistake. But the upside is so there and so real that I just can't quit the idea of Daniel Jones. Big guy, big arm, good deep ball, big deep threat, dual threat. I like Daniel Jones. He has done a lot with not a lot around him, just like the Patriots have not a lot around him. This year, he's got no Saquon Barkley out for the year. Devonta Freeman, Saquon's backup, who they signed off the street, he also didn't play yesterday. They played with Alfred Morris, another running back, off the street. Okay, He's doing a lot with nothing around him. He's lost his two wide receivers last year, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. He lost his tight end last year, Evan Ingram. He lost Barkley last year for a long time. The Giants still can't get the offensive line right. He's got a new coach. He's got a new offensive coordinator, a new system. He's doing it through you know, COVID and everything. If we're going to give excuses to Cam and we're going to give excuses to these other teams with new coordinators and new head coaches, we have to extend it to Daniel Jones as well. He is not the sole problem in New York. Yes, 
he makes mistakes. Yes, he makes too many mistakes, but he is a good football player. And if the New York Giants, who right now are 1-7, if they end up with a top two pick in the draft and they want to take a quarterback, if the Jets are going to finish number one and they want to take Trevor Lawrence or trade to someone for Trevor Lawrence and the Giants finish number two, and they're battling it out with Jacksonville and some others, if they want to take Justin Fields and no longer need Daniel Jones, then I'm 125% calling my old special teams coordinator, Joe Judge, if I'm Bill Belichick, and I'm saying, give me that guy. Josh Rosen went for a second-round pick. I don't know what Daniel Jones will go for. For a backup quarterback, second-round pick, third-round pick, I mean, if you've got Justin Fields, I don't know that you need Daniel Jones, so I don't know that you really have a whole lot of leverage. I'm call I'm calling every day until Joe Judge gives him to me. Daniel Jones threw 24 touchdown passes last year, led all rookie quarterbacks. He led all rookie quarterbacks in touchdown passes last year, didn't start every game. I think he only started 12 games last year. He led every rookie quarterback in touchdowns. Kyler Murray won rookie of the year. But Dan Daniel Murray, or Daniel Jones rather, in 12 games threw more touchdown passes than Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is the golden boy of right now the NFL, it seems like. Everybody loves Kyler Murray. Daniel Jones should have been the rookie of the year last year with nothing around him, with a coach who got fired, with an offensive coordinator who got fired. Daniel Jones should have been the rookie of the year. Daniel Jones should not be given up on by the Giants, but if he is, I'm calling upon the Patriots, and since this is the daily dose of Doug, um, Flutie also loves Daniel Jones. I saw Daniel Jones' first half. I covered him. He impressed the heck out of me. He, he beat Notre Dame. He Duke's first win over Notre Dame was with Daniel Jones, at quarterback. Hmm. I mean, he he was pretty sharp. I mean, he got rid of the football. He anticipated throws. He picked he picked that defense apart. He's the type of guy that Bill Bill would do a lot of a lot with. I. That I never thought of that, but he's the type of guy that's very cerebral, very X and O oriented type kid. If Daniel Jones becomes available because the Giants want Justin Fields and they don't want Daniel Jones, I want Daniel Jones. Okay, look, he'd have three years of team control left, right? Rookie contracts are five years of team control. He'd have three years left. This is only a second year. That's plenty of time on a rookie deal to evaluate a quarterback and build around a quarterback. And also, if the Patriots don't get to the top two, which right now, I mean, the Giants, Jets, Jags, are all, you know, ahead of them, in quotes, for a top two pick, the Patriots aren't going to get a great quarterback out of the draft. I used to think that because of the rarity of Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, Brady was a a sixth-round pick and Wilson was a third-round pick, I used to think, like, ah, you can get a quarterback later. You can't. You can't get a quarterback later. Every single team's opening day quarterback this year was drafted in the first or second round with the exception of five. Dak Prescott, who the Cowboys haven't wanted to pay. Kirk Cousins, who everybody says they can't stand. Russell Wilson, who's a Hall of Famer. Tom Brady, who's a Hall of Famer. And Gardner Minshew, who just got benched. The odds of you finding a quarterback not in the first two rounds are virtually zero. Brady and Wilson are so far the anomaly... So far, the exception to the rule that do not be blinded and say, well, hey, Seahawks found Wilson in the third round. Cowboys found Dak in the fourth round. We could find it. No, you can't. They got lucky. 
Those players are special in very different ways and special in their own way. You can't bank on that. Daniel Jones was a first-round pick, number six overall, for a reason. His size, his smarts, his throwing ability deep, and his dual-threat nature and his ability to run. If somebody's going to give up on that, I will take it, and your trash will become my treasure, and I will have a real opportunity for the Patriots to go through and build with Daniel Jones. And some somebody's out there laughing at me. Travis and Milton, he likes to laugh at me. He's probably going to listen to the podcast or text me later and tweet me later and say that it's a garbage take. But if he's going to become relegated to a backup in New York, he deserves to be traded to the Patriots. And like Flutie said, the Patriots will be able to do a lot with him. He's the type of guy that Bill, Bill would do a lot of, a lot with. I, that, I never thought of that, but he's the type of guy that's very cerebral, very X and O oriented type kid. Every team's opening day starting quarterback was drafted in the first or second round except for five. You need a quarterback with a pedigree. You need a quarterback that comes from a high draft slot because you just don't find Tom Brady. You just don't find Russell Wilson. High quarterback draft selection is what teams are looking for. It's what teams need to contend. The Patriots need one. And if they're not going to be bad enough to get the one or two spot, then they might as well trade for Daniel Jones because you're not finding somebody in the fifth round and saying, hey, we got our guy. We thought Jared Stidham, we were blinded by Jared Stidham and said, oh, they'll find him. Well, Jared Stidham, fourth-round pick, can't get on the field. That tells you all you need to know. If you're not a high draft pick at the quarterback position, your odds of making it are really not that good. And if the the Giants are going to get rid of a guy who was drafted high, then I am going to be the recipient of Daniel Jones, and I will gladly do it with three years left on a rookie contract. It's amazing how much Daniel Jones has seeped into today's show. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Daniel Jones is also involved in crazy Twitter takes. So let's find out about Daniel Jones on crazy Twitter takes because this one is another one that I'm pretty passionate about. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, so former Patriots running back LeGarrette Blunt, before yesterday's game for the Giants, in all in all um, transparency, he put up a graphic of former Raiders quarterback, number one overall pick, Jamarcus Russell, and he put up a graphic of Daniel Jones. And again, before yesterday's two interceptions. And basically, it showed that Jamarcus Russell and Daniel Jones had extremely high turnover rates. And at the, you know, I think it was like through their first 20 games. And it showed that Russell, who's labeled one of the biggest busts of NFL history, one of the biggest busts of all time, that he was pretty similar to what Jones's productivity was. And the question by LeGarrette Blunt was, why are we labeling Jamarcus Russell a huge bust, but yet Daniel Jones skates by relatively with no criticism? Well, LeGarrette, I appreciate the Super Bowl titles you brought to New England. Let me tell you why Daniel Jones does not get the grief or the bust label that Jamarcus Russell got. I've got seven reasons why Jones 
doesn't get grief like Russell. Jamarcus Russell went to LSU and won a national championship. Jamarcus Russell played in the SEC. He came in with much more fanfare and much more expectation than a guy in Daniel Jones who went to a basketball school. Daniel Jones went to a basketball school where we don't expect great football players to come from. We don't expect quarterbacks to come from. We don't expect football players to come from there. We expect point guards and small forwards to come from Duke. Daniel Jones came from a non-football power. Jamarcus Russell came from a football power and a football conference in the biggest college football area of the country and won a national championship. He comes in with far greater expectations than Daniel Jones did. Also, he was the number one pick. Even though Daniel Jones was a first-rounder, he was not the first quarterback taken. Jamarcus Russell, first player taken, first quarterback taken. I look at last year's draft and I see that Daniel Jones was not the first quarterback taken. Kyler Murray was. Okay, There are quarterbacks taken in front of Daniel Jones that instantly takes a little bit of pressure off of him from the national media and fan standpoint. Jamarcus Russell had the target on his back because of where he went to school and what he had accomplished in school, which was winning the national championship. Number two... Jamarcus Russell held out through the entirety of his first training camp, instantly making him unlikable to people. Being likable is a huge part of this for players. And not all players get this, that if you are just likable, you can withstand a lot of bad play just by being nice to the media and being good to fans. Why was David Price so hated by Red Sox Nation? Because David Price was not nice. He was bad to the media. They were hard on him. He was bad to fans. They were hard on him. When Chris Sale was horrible the last couple of years, it got washed away largely. Why? Because Sale was transparent. Sale was likable. Sale was accountable. And people respected that. Just being likable goes a long way. And Jamarcus Russell holding out through the entirety of his first training camp instantly makes you unlikable. Also, Jamarcus Russell played at a time when the draft, you know, right now the draft money-wise is slotted. Then it wasn't. So now it's very easy to get deals done with rookie players. Then you had a little more leeway and players could get bigger deals. Jamarcus Russell had a $68 million contract. Daniel Jones has a $25 million contract. Still big, still more than you or me make, but Jamarcus Russell had a $32 million guaranteed salary, total number 68. Daniel Jones, $25 million. So the monetary expectations that come with a guy who held out and then a guy who got $68 million, that comes with a greater expectations. If LeGarrette Blunt or anyone else needs me to keep going on this, Jamarcus Russell couldn't even get on the field in early in his career. He played one game as a rookie. Daniel Jones was playing by week three of his rookie year. Jamarcus Russell played one game as a rookie. Daniel Jones was starting by week, I think week four, week three, he came in relief of Eli Manning. Then Jamarcus Russell, continuing the fact that he was unlikable, came into a year massively overweight, whereas Jones is reported to be an impeccable worker, and has never had any questions about his work ethic. He's the quintessential first one in, last guy to leave. Jamarcus Russell questions about his weight, questions about his work ethic, questions about his desire. Couple that with 
an attitude that said he was holding out and an inflated contract and inflated expectations. That's why he gets labeled a bust and why Daniel Jones is just kind of, you're just now hearing some murmurs about him. And after the fact, Jamarcus Russell was arrested for possession of codeine syrup. Okay, there are a lot of guys who have transgressions against them, and you know not everybody judges those transgressions, but Jamarcus Russell got arrested. So you look at it and say that this guy had a huge contract, huge expectations, couldn't get on the field, held out, huge money, becomes unlikable, and then when you have questions about his desire, about his love of football and about his work ethic, and then he goes and gets arrested just a few years after being the number one pick, it just reaffir- it just affirms what everybody thought. It allows it to be written off as, well, hey, we had questions about Russell, and he proved us right. Daniel Jones doesn't have those questions. You may have questions about his play. You may have questions about his decision-making on the field. But his work ethic and his decision-making off of it have never been in question. And when you are just likable, that puts up a nice cloak of defense for you. And Daniel Jones has proven to be largely likable. He doesn't have the money. He didn't come from a football power. He didn't win a national championship. And therefore, he also gets a little bit more of a free pass. And he's done some pretty special things. Jamarcus Russell never did anything special. Daniel Jones led the league or led all rookies in touchdown passes a year ago, including the rookie of the year, Kyler Murray, who played every game for the Cardinals. Or I think played maybe 15 of the games for the Cardinals. Daniel Jones does get more of a pass than Jamarcus Russell. We're 20 minutes away from election night coverage here on WDEV. Currently, it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's saying what? We'll get into that. Expanded playoffs in the NFL. Is that a good idea? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big-time trouble. They really said that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas show on this election night, Tuesday, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So the NFL is thinking of expanding to 16 teams for this year in the playoffs. And the reason would be because if they add another two teams, so right now the playoff format is at 14, which is up from 12. So last year it was 12. This year the league goes to 14, gets more chances for play, you know more playoff revenue, another playoff game, et cetera. Now they think they might want to go to 16 for this year only. And the reason why is because the league's lost some money, right? A lot of money because not as many fans at games. In some places, no fans, and it's going to continue that way. So the league's not bringing in as much revenue. This is a chance for them to add another playoff teams, get more playoff games, more advertising revenue, more playoff revenue, more uh, commercial time, etc. Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, he joins me every single Wednesday, so we'll be with Freddie tomorrow at 545. He thinks not only will this happen this year, He thinks that this has a good chance of making it through the entirety of uh, of of the NFL. He thinks this is going to become a. uh, Freddie said his exact words were. I'm trying to think here because I just saw the quote. He said the NFL doesn't do anything without thinking that it's going to last. So there it is. There it is. I see it now. Freddie Coleman says the NFL doesn't try something without designs on it lasting. 
I don't want to see this. I don't want to see 16 um, teams in the NFL playoffs. I have really zero interest in that, to be honest. Oh, let me see. I think we, we have the audio. Here it is. Here's Freddie. Anytime they put something out there, they're going to do it because they know that if you give the fans more football, more playoff football, nobody is going to complain about that when it's all said and done. I'm going to complain about it. I have no interest in 16 football teams. One, I like somewhat of the exclusivity of the playoffs. I don't like when half your league makes the playoffs. I don't like it in hockey. I don't like it in basketball. We don't need more teams in March Madness. We don't need more teams really in the college football playoff. We need good teams in the playoffs. And if you go to 16, you're going to stop seeing good teams in the playoffs. These teams have no chances to win games. So what's the point of having them there? Only two number six seeds have ever won the Super Bowl. No, Only two number six seeds have ever won the Super Bowl. You really think a number eight seed is going to win it? It's a pure money grab. More football isn't better football. Okay, I don't watch the MAC. I don't watch um, bad Big 12 teams play. I don't watch bad football. I want good football. More football is not good football. I don't want to see a number eight seed get pummeled by a number one. I just watched the Chiefs beat the Jets 35-9. to Okay, now you'll get a team that's mildly better than the Jets, but I don't really want to see that. I don't really want to see a team that finished 7-9 and go and get their clock clean by the Kansas City Chiefs. Also, what happens in the first round bye? So a team that gets number one seed and home field advantage, do they lose the first round bye now because they have to play a first round game against a number eight? Or are we going to give one and two a bye and now it's three versus eight and four versus seven and five versus six? I guess that's probably it, but that hasn't been said yet explicitly. Because if I'm a one or a two seed and I've battled through that, the last thing I want is you taking away my bye week. 100%. I would be furious if I were the Chiefs or Green Bay or Seattle or Baltimore or Pittsburgh or any of these teams that are going for a first-round bye in a home field. They already aren't going to get home field advantage. You better not take away my bye either. I don't watch most college football because it's just not good enough action for me. Even bad pro football is not good for me. Even for this year, I don't want it. And, well, of course, football's lost money, right? They lose money from, from lack of fans. Baseball lost a third, two-thirds of its season. The NBA lost multi, several regular season games. Those leagues have real losses. Football is going to play a full 16-game schedule. They're getting a full playoff slate and a Super Bowl. They're getting plenty of ad revenue. They've already got the best television deal that money can buy. I understand that Jerry Jones needs to fund another vacation home, but I don't need to see them extract everything out of the sport just to make some of those losses hurt a little bit less. They can handle it for a bit in a way that baseball or basketball couldn't. And even they can get away with it too, but football can really get away with it. I don't need bad football. I don't need to see an eight seed. They have zero chance to win. And all I'm really doing at that point is, Teams that should be rebuilding are now going to go for it when they have no business going for it. And I don't want to see that either if I'm a fan of a team. All right, moving on on uh, who's saying what. Brent Curtis, 
longtime Vermont high school basketball broadcaster. He was he joined me in the midday news service in the afternoon news service to talk about the announcement and guidance around Vermont high school winter sports. We know what's happening in the state of Vermont. Fanless games, um, players have to wear masks, coaches, officials have to wear masks. That's in the state. What happens for a state power like Vermont Academy in basketball, who's not part of the Vermont Principals Association? Brent Curtis earlier with me. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle visiting teams and what they do uh, in away from home games. So, again, they're not in the VPA, and it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to this or how they're ordered to respond to this. Vermont Academy in basketball on the boys' side is a power. The last five years, they've sent players to Harvard, Vanderbilt, Louisville, Miami, UVM, Butler, Marquette, Rutgers, major Division I schools, major Division I powerhouses. I don't know that they're going to be able to play because the rules on the travel map are so strict and the rules on quarantining are so strict I don't know if high schools, even if super prep high schools like Vermont Academy, are going to want to put the expenditure out to do all the testing needed to bypass those rules. I don't know that their opponents in other prep leagues are going to want to bypass, are going to want to come up with the requisite funding for testing that would bypass all of those rules. I don't know. In state, the Vermont the VPA schools are going to be able to play because it's in-state travel. This administration trusts in-state travel. It does not trust crossing state lines. And that, you know, when when Vermont Academy plays in a New England-based prep league, there's a whole lot of travel and therefore a whole lot of money needed to combat all of the rules. I don't know that they're going to want to pay for it. So I'll be very, very interested. Alex Pope is the head coach of the boys' basketball team. I'm going to have to get him on and reach out at some point and see how today's ruling impacts him let's get to closing thoughts closing thoughts closing time you don't have to go home but you can't stay here all right closing thoughts on the brady farkas show wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com along the same lines of what we were just talking about i'm gonna be proven right on this and i really don't want to be Based on what I heard today from Governor Phil Scott's team about high school sports and how restrictive in quotes, but how how different it is, I guess, we're not going to see college sports at the Division III level all winter. And I don't think we're going to see St. Mike's play either. I don't want to be right on this. I think I'm going to be proven right on this. Again, Like I just told you, the quarantine rules, the travel map are so strict, and you can't get around them without massive testing. The Division III schools aren't going to spend on that. Okay, we've already seen the GNAC cancel sports and the NESCAC cancel sports, which wipes out Norwich and Middlebury. I think the announcement on Norwich hockey and the New England Hockey Conference is going to come at some point, unfortunately. We do the games. The last thing I want to see is Norwich hockey not play. But Castleton, Linden, Johnson, I don't think any of them are going to play because they simply can't afford the testing, right? Like at UVM, athletics brings in revenue. NCAA tournaments bring in revenue. They have to play in order to 
drive revenue. Even without fan fans at games, they have to get tournament dollars. They need to play, and they'll 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 test so that they can play, so that they can get tournament revenue from hockey and basketball. High school, or I'm sorry, Division three athletics, it doesn't bring in a lot of revenue. So if you're not having fans, well, okay, you're losing money there. And you're not offsetting any cost of testing, so it just be, it ceases to be worth it. Leagues are already canceling. It ceases to be worth it for teams and conferences to play, to pay for uniforms, to pay for ice time, to pay to keep the lights on, to pay for bus drivers, to pay for officials. If you're not bringing in any money from athletics, it becomes way too hard to fund testing. I don't think they're going to play. St. Mike's is different. Division two does bring in some revenue. I just don't think St. Mike's has ever shown an investment in athletics, which is really unfortunate. They used to be a very good basketball school. They have been good in hockey, but they haven't really shown any true investment in athletics, and I don't think that they're going to play either. I, they're already saying they won't play through New Year's, and with the COVID outbreak, everything's on, on you know suspended right now and on hold at St. Mike's. I don't think they value athletics enough to play given what would need to happen with testing. And Julie Moore, who was on the, you know, who was speaking today at the governor's press conference, mentioned gatherings being bad. You know, team gatherings. She discouraged high school teams from having out of competition gatherings. What do college kids do? They gather. They live together. They eat together. They party together. They have team dinners together. And that scares the government officials here. I don't think that you'll see college sports because if, if schools are not willing to test at the level they would need to, they're never going to get around those quarantine rules. They're never going to get around the travel map. And that's going to wipe out winter sports. For better or worse, whatever you think about it politically, that's going to be the reason that we don't have winter sports. They just can't test at the level that would um, make it feasible. All right, that's the Brady Farkas Show. Thanks to the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia is family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Full show podcast will be available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Our election night coverage is coming up next. We've got Lee Cattell, Rick Sangari, and the rest of our WDEV team standing by. We'll take you through the rest of the night. It all starts in just a couple of minutes. Every race that you care about on the Friendly Pioneer of WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We will see you tomorrow with the Brady Farkas Show again. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.